May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. It was probably 10, maybe 12 years ago that we took a trip to the Grand Canyon. And when we got there, we were surprised to see that the whole thing was covered in fog. This was not my first trip to the Grand Canyon. And there's, in fact, there's a story that my mom likes to tell about when I was a preschooler. And we all made a trip shortly after we'd moved to Arizona. And I was excitedly telling my cousins the entire way up that we were going to the Grand Canyon because I had a hard time saying the ny sound in Grand Canyon still. So I'd been there enough to know what was out there, but I'm standing on the edge of this enormous crevice in the ground, and I can't see a thing. In fact, it looks like you could just walk right out onto the cloud there at ground level. And I've got to say that standing there that day was deeply unsettling for me, almost terrifying because I knew what was down there. And I knew that if I did take one step over the edge, that it was certain doom. But you couldn't see it. The only thing I can compare this to is uh, the, the, the condition thalassophobia, which is a, a real diagnosis. It is the fear of not being able to see in the water when you're at the lake or at the ocean. You know that something is down there. You know that it could potentially be dangerous, like a shark, for example. And you can't see it. And you feel that rush of anxiety associated with not knowing. And that's what this is really all about. It's about the unknowing. The vague sense of danger, yes, But the real problem is not being able to trust your senses in that moment because it looked like a beautiful cloudy carpet that you could just walk from one side to the other on. But of course, that's not what it was at all. And today's readings about encountering God in the cloud In this place of transcendence and transfiguration, we we think about these in terms of meeting the glory of God and bringing that back down to the people. But I want to pause for a moment in the cloud, in that place where the truth is unknown and hidden and sometimes hard to find, because this idea of a cloud of unknowing has been around for a long time. This is not something that I came up with. There was a book a spiritual how-to book written by an unknown 14th century English priest, monastic, mystic. We're not sure exactly who wrote this because they didn't bother to put their name on the text when they were done. But the book that they wrote, they called The Great Cloud of Unknowing. And the gist of the book is this, that there is always something fixed between us and God. There is A darkness is one of the words that's used. A cloud comes up over and over in the text. And what this does is it keeps us 
from truly seeing. Because when it comes to God, our senses betray us. This is a, this is a quote from The Cloud of Unknowing. All rational creatures, angels and humans alike, have in them, each one individually, one chief working power which is called a knowing power and another chief working power called the loving power. And of these two powers, God who is the maker of them both is always incomprehensible to the first, the knowing power. But to the second, to the loving power, God is entirely comprehensible in each one individually, insomuch that one loving soul of itself, because of love, would be able to comprehend God who is entirely sufficient and much more so, without limit, to fill all the souls of humans and angels who could ever exist. God, unknowable and incomprehensible to our minds, obscured through our senses those things that we rely on every day to make our way through the world, is knowable only through love. And I think that's a message that resonates throughout our readings today, starting with Moses. Moses, at this point, when we meet him at the base of Mount Sinai, is three months into a journey through a hot, dry desert. For three months, Moses and the people have been following a, a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire as the Spirit has been leading them on to a place where they don't know where they're going. Moses has listened to three months of complaining about the lack of food and about the lack of water and about how life was just so much better in Egypt, why can't we turn around and go back? Moses for three months has sat as judge over the people and listened to their complaints and their quarrels and decided who was right and who was wrong. Moses by this point even though he's only three months into this journey, probably thinks he has seen everything. He has wakened early in the morning and opened his tent to see the ground covered in something that looks like frost everywhere. But it's not frost at all. It is bread from heaven, so much so that it's more than all of the people can gather and eat. He has gone through a dry place in the desert where there was nothing to drink, and the people were dying of thirst, and he saw water come out of a rock. He has witnessed a well-organized army attack God's people, who were brick builders, who fled Egypt with nothing more than the clothes on their back and the tents that they were now sleeping in, and somehow God delivered them from this army and brought them a great victory. Moses has seen all of this firsthand, and now he has finally arrived at God's holy mountain, wondering what comes next. The recitation of the law, the tablets of stone with the Ten Commandments, those things are coming. But first, Moses is called by God to come up the mountain. But God's voice isn't gentle and clear. He's not inviting Moses. 
in a kind way. The cloud of God's presence has settled over the top of the mountain, and there's a consuming fire within this cloud. The only thing that I can think of that we could possibly understand what this might have looked like is a volcano. Think about that. It's a violent scene. There is fire, and there is smoke, and there is a cloud, and the people are terrified. And it is from this fiery, smoky cloud that God says to Moses, come on up here and spend some time with me. And Moses does what I would absolutely be afraid to do. He climbs the mountain into the fiery cloud and sits in God's presence for 40 days. Because Moses knows a God whose love defies sense and the senses. He has witnessed this God intervene over and over and over. And the faith that Moses has developed is one based on trust and relationship. And when we think about Moses bravely climbing that mountain, I've got to say that I would be much more in the camp of Peter, James, and John because I think they have a very logical and natural response to experiencing God's glory in such a dramatic way. Somehow, they are okay. They are totally cool with Jesus standing there talking to Moses and Elijah, who have both been gone for centuries. That doesn't weird them out at all. I don't understand that part. But then the cloud appears, and there's a blinding light, and a voice from out of nowhere that says, this is my son, and they can't handle it. Their senses are overwhelmed, and they fall to the ground, and they are terrified. And what Jesus does next is amazing. Because Jesus is not shy about telling the disciples when they've made a mistake. On more than one occasion, he tells them, if you just had enough faith, in fact, if you had as much faith as this tiny little grain of mustard, you have no idea what God could do through you. When the disciples fall asleep in the garden, he says, what is going on? Couldn't you just watch and pray for an hour? Jesus is not shy about rebuking, but in this situation, as the disciples are huddled in terror, there is no rebuke. He touches them. It's a gentle act of love and reassurance. And he says to them, get up. Do not be afraid. God speaks to us in love. And it is only because of love that God is comprehensible. When we encounter the cloud of unknowing, when we are confronted by the presence of God interrupting our lives, we have two choices. We can respond in fear, or we can respond in love. Fear makes us like Peter, James, and John that day. We cower. We make ourselves small. We react, we protect ourselves, we hide. But love, love is expansive. 
It is always reaching outward. It is always offering hope. Love is Moses being reassured by the reality of God's sustaining presence in one unbelievable situation after another. Love is Jesus touching the disciples and gently saying, get up, don't be afraid. And friends, in a world that is filled with so much bad news, I think that sometimes we are confronted by God's presence. It defies our senses, and we are terrified. When we hear on the news about another senseless act of gun violence that has taken the lives of innocent people, this time on their way to school, but other times on their way to work, on their way to spend time with friends, it breaks our heart. It stirs something inside of us. When we hear about young people all around us who feel like they have no hope, and they're slowly slipping into darkness. It grips us. It makes us feel something deep inside. When we look outside on our streets and we see the realities of poverty and homelessness and food insecurity, we say there has to be something that we can do. We hear about one situation after another and it stirs our hearts and almost immediately the fear sets in. We become like Moses, not the Moses who's climbing the mountain, a Moses years earlier who encountered something that defied his senses then, a bush that was on fire but not consumed. And as, as he stood there and listened to God's call, he said, I can't do this. I'm not equipped. You've got the wrong guy. That's what fear does. And I know, because I have been there too. It's a journey that I am still on from time to time, recognizing God's call, feeling the enormity of it, being overwhelmed by the sensation of what needs to be done, and saying, there's nothing that I can do. We feel something calling us from that great cloud of unknowing, but we're not sure what to make of it. Fortunately, 21st century mystic Richard Bohr has an answer for us. He writes that we are all in our own way, partial knowers. We are all verbalizations filled with biography, preference, genius, and past hurts. And in all of this, we are always interested in our knowing. And it is only our capacity to allow our love for God to mature that helps us get to the point where we can respond in faith to God's call rather than being overwhelmed by fear. Rohr puts it this way, in other words, only those who love rightly see rightly. And I think that's it. Love affects our seeing. Love changes the way we see reality. And if we start with that faith that is born of love for God, we can start to see the world not as it is, but as it could be. 
Because when we rely only on our senses, we are afraid, we are scared, we hide, we protect ourselves, we make ourselves and our call seem small. But the good news for us today is that even in those moments when we're unsure and we'd rather hide away, Jesus is there, tenderly reassuring us, get up, do not be afraid.